Where else shall we go, Lord, for you alone have the words of life. Therefore, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I'll be reading Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible gospel to our hearts, to our souls, to our comfort, to our rest in Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, help us. Help us see. Help us break through our legalism. Break through our doubt. Cause the work of your Spirit to, to lift our souls high. And the rest that's in Christ to the glory of his name. Through this passage, this morning... Amen. And amen. One of the most Christ belittling false doctrines that was drilled into me as a child growing up is the Roman Catholic teaching on purgatory. 
Purgatory, it, it, it's a place that after one dies and departs the body, instead of going straight to heaven, that if they were in good standing with the Roman church, it's a place that they could continue to make satisfaction for their sins, to work them off, to continue to make atonement until they are finally clean. hundred years. My dad said he was fine if it was 10,000 years as long as eventually I will end up in heaven. And that doctrine is also connected to one of the seven sacraments, the doctrine of penance. It's not merely I repent. It is the doctrine that says after you confess your sins to the priest continuously throughout your so-called Christian life, the priest will then prescribe for you deeds to do, and now you must go do the deeds to get the purging of your sins. And that'll lessen your time in purgatory. This is a blatant denial of this text. It's a blatant denial of the entire book of Hebrews. Indeed, it's a blatant denial of the gospel of God's grace in Christ. Notice verse 10 of our passage. And by that will. We'll come back there in a moment. But that he's, he means by the thelema. The Greek word, the will of God here that Jesus is doing God's will in coming. By that will, and only by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If Christ's death has made us holy before God, cleansed our conscience from guilt, then purgatory is a vicious doctrine and lie. So let's go back to the beginning. If you're there, chapter 10, start with verse 1 and follow his thought. For since the law of Moses has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. In other words, it was a shadow. If you're in a downtown district and there's a sidewalk in a corner of a building and the sun's back there behind a man walking over here, you will see the shadow first. And you know someone's coming, but the shadow on the ground is not the reality of the person who will then emerge from the building. It's a pointer. It's a shadow. It was not the reality. And thus he goes on, because of that, because of the old covenant, the sacrificial system being a shadow. Therefore, he concludes, it can never, by the same sacrifices 
that are continually offered every year on the Day of Atonement could never make perfect those who draw near. Here's his argument. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered the next year? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. They can never make perfect the blood of bulls and goats. Make perfect refers to our standing with God, which includes total cleansing from sin so that we have a clean Conscience. If our consciences are aware of guilt that remains upon us before God, that has not been cleansed, then we cannot draw near to the Holy God. Instead, we will do what Adam and Eve did. Hide. sinned, they were guilty, and hid. And therefore here, to make perfect means, you are cleansed. Sin, your sin has been taken away. You have been made perfectly acceptable by the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. If you are in Him. If you believe. Let's read it one and two again. The law of Moses, the sacrificial system, it, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. And then he goes on in verse 3 to argue that the animal sacrifices on the Day of Atonement only provided a yearly reminder of sins, of guilt. But in these sacrifices, verse 3, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's why you have to repeat it over and over and over again. They did not cleanse from sin. Otherwise, they wouldn't they have ceased to be offered the next year? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But it's not, how, it's not what it was about. What it was about is this. These sacrifices are a reminder of sins every year. The sacrificial system of the law of Moses did its job. The law could not free people. It 
condemned them and pointed out their sin. And the fact that an animal's throat needed to be slit open and the blood poured out was a constant reminder of my sin before a holy God. A reminder of His disposition toward the sinner. And so, in verse 4, He just now just states it plainly. Why that sacrificial system could only remind people of their sin. It couldn't remedy the problem. It couldn't cleanse them from it. It could not provide them righteousness or a right standing with God. How come? Verse 4. Because. Gar. The word for. Reason. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Which is his whole point. God designed the animal sacrifices as a shadow, a picture of the reality which was to come. The shadow of the sacrificial system, it, it pointed to the only sacrifice that could bear sin's penalty so that sinners could go free and stand before God as perfectly righteous with a clean conscience and draw near to Him. So, the first section of our passage, verses 1 to 4, they're very clear. The sacrificial system of the law of Moses could not take away sins. The very repetition of the sacrifices showed that those sacrifices did not perfect the sinner or cleanse the conscience. In other words, nothing decisive and once for all happened in the old covenant sacrificial system. And that leads him into his next section, verses 5 to 7. It is the powerful, therefore, section. Therefore, or consequently, okay, and now what he does is that he puts the words of Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. The Greek translation of the Hebrew of Psalm 40, that's what he's quoting, the Greek translation of it called the Septuagint. And he puts those words into Jesus' mouth. As he comes into the world. And this statement here. It rings with Jesus' pre-existence. Verse 5. Consequently. 
Because what we just saw in verses 1 to 4. When Christ came into the world, he said, now, now remember the writer has already made it crystal clear who he's referring to in the very opening of the letter to Hebrews. Remember, in these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He also created the world. He, Christ Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's the person he's talking about. And so he says here in chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, Consequently, because those are only shadows to the reality, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices, bulls and goats, offerings, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure in. And then I, Christ, said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Thelema, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, sacrificial system was only shadows. They could not remove sin. Therefore, a body you have prepared for me. The cross of Jesus was the direct will of God. That's why he came. That's why the angel came and spoke to Mary, his mother. The bloody sacrifice of Christ was God's predetermined plan before he ever created anything. Remember how our brothers and sisters prayed in Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, who was gathered against him, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do to him whatever your hand and your plan had predestined or predetermined take place. Animals could not put away sins. But the man, the God-man could. And so, a body you have prepared for me. Now notice, he says in 
there in verse 5. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Okay. Huh? What do you mean didn't desire it? God commanded them to make these sacrifices. So you've got to put your thinking cap on. So, okay. He doesn't mean in, that God didn't ordain that. It, it can't mean that. But what, so he's got to mean something different. And I think you get this big clue by the same author, David, right? In Psalm 51, after his horrific sin of adultery with Bathsheba and essentially calling the murder of Uriah. And when, by grace, he's convicted of that sin, he prays and he says this in Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, meaning of the animal, if I go do that right now. Or if you did, I would, de- I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In other words, it was always the heart that God desired to change. And now here's the flow of Hebrews. Animal sacrifices did nothing to change the sinful human heart. All religious activity apart from a changed heart is worthless. It's not pleasing to God at all. So who's going to come? Who's going to please God? Who's going to do the will of God? Who would walk in perfect obedience with a perfect heart of submission? It's not Adam. And it was not Noah, and not Abraham, and not Moses, and not David, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah. All of them have fallen short of the glory of God. Only one person. The eternal God becoming a human being and living In our place. And so in his incarnation, he says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The scriptures, like Isaiah 53, that foretold of what I'm coming to do. And so the divine will led Jesus to the cross. 
He came to do God's will perfectly. Christ Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law of Moses as a perfect human being. He lived in perfect human righteousness. And then he satisfied the will of God, that is, the justice of God, by absorbing the punishment against all the sins of those whom he's saving. That's why Paul cried out in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse, that is, the punishment of the law of Moses. How? By himself becoming a curse. The punishment for us. Just as it is written, cursed or punished is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so that's why he said, behold, I have come to do that. To do your will, O oh God. God's will, His holiness demanded perfect obedience and perfect satisfaction for sins. Bulls and goats could not do either of those. It is an impossibility. First, they can't be righteous. They're not made in the image of God. They have no moral conscience. They cannot obey or disobey. So they have no ability to live righteously on behalf of others. And nor could they satisfy justice against sin as a substitute because they do not qualify morally. Which means the only thing that's going to qualify is one who has eternal worth and laying down his life. And so Jesus came to do God's will. His flow, the old covenant sacrificial system was only a shadow. It wasn't the reality. It was a picture being painted for when the reality came and thus the incarnation. It comes and he says, I've come now to do your will. Okay. That's what he said so far. Then the writer, he gives his interpretation of all of that. By saying, in what he did, he established the new covenant. And in so doing, he abolished the old 
covenant sacrificial system. Begin with verse 8. Here's his interpretation. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law of Moses. Then he added this, Behold, I have come to do your will. Okay, now, here's his theology. He abolishes the first covenant in order to establish the second. Jesus met the demands of the law with perfect righteousness. So that the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to, to, to all who believe. When one is saved, by Christ. What they are to understand is when the law of God demands of you, you no longer look to it in order to establish your own righteousness standing before God. Because Christ came and did it for you. The text says that because Jesus did the Father's will, quote, he abolishes the law covenant of Moses in order to establish the second covenant. He abolishes the first, the old covenant, to establish the second the new covenant Jesus purchased by his life and by his death the new covenant which the old covenant pointed to and once he comes behold a body you've prepared for me I've come to do your will the old is set Aside, it is abolished, it's done away with, it's over. And so he says, dear Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, indeed he says to all Christians throughout all centuries, the old covenant has no more significance for your life. The sacrificial system offers nothing to you. The temple and all of its ceremonies and its ritual cleansings and food laws are no longer valid or needed. He's saying... To a Jew or a Gentile, you're free. You're free from what? 
You're free from the slavery to the old covenant that, that constantly, by its definition, exposed your sin in your hard-heartedness, but it could do nothing to change your heart. You're free from that. That's how Jeremiah defined the old covenant. But the positive news is not only did Christ abolish the old covenant, he established the new. In order to establish the second. The first covenant, it was in place only until the reality to which it pointed came. And so the first covenant had to be removed in order to establish the second in Jesus' blood. This truth not only spoke to the early Jewish Christians, but it has been speaking to Christians down through the centuries. Everyone, it says, who clings to the hope that you're obeying the law or, or following this or that church ritual will put you, that will put you in right relationship with God. He says, you must realize that that old covenant idea is removed. We have a much better hope. Jesus has established once for all the new covenant. And we know what he's talking about. He previously has already quoted extensively from Jeremiah 31, but he will quote again, just jump down to verses 16 to 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds... I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Jesus provides forgiveness through his death on the cross, not by our works or our making satisfaction for our sins when the priest says, now go do these things, that is, do penance. The blood of Christ takes away our sin and it purchases, as Jeremiah says, our new birth so that we get a heart transplant of faith. That's the new covenant. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second.
And now that brings us to verse 10. In verse 10, he says, this is the meaning of the cross. And by that will, again, just you don't read this English like this because it's not what the Greek means. And by that will we have been sanctified. It's not what it means. It means, and by that, the Greek word thelema, which means will, and Jesus came to do the will of God. So it's, 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 it's God's will that Jesus is doing, which is Jesus' will to do it. By that, what will? A body you prepared for me. His sacrifice. By that, by that what? We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. By that will, by God's will, which Christ came to do, by that and by that only, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you just notice that word sanctified? Translated correctly here, have been sanctified. Because in the Greek, it's a perfect tense verb, which denotes something that has transpired in the past. But not like it happened and it's over. From that moment in the past, all the way through time up to the present and ongoingly presently, that's the perfect tense verb. We have been and are sanctified, set apart to God, made holy. The old covenant sacrifices, they needed to be repeated. But Christ's sacrifice was once and that's all was needed for all. By it, we have been put in perfect standing with God. Every person who believes We've been sanctified, set apart to Him forever. Hear the contrast between where He starts in verse 1 and then verse 10. In verse 1, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 10. And by God's will of Christ's death, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It is unrepeatable. 
His death is the event. Nothing that you do is the event. His death is the event that secured our sanctification. Set apart unto Him. Secured our perfect standing before God forever. This is what we mean coming out of the 1500s Reformation when we say, in Christ alone. So we can hear now the sharpness of what this writer is doing as he addresses these waffling Jewish Christians of the first century. He's saying, how can you even think about going back to the old covenant sacrificial system when Christ abolished it? How can you treat lightly the new covenant established by the once for all bloody sacrifice of Jesus? He paid the price for your remission of sins. That's what he's saying to him. And the question confronts all of us today in the church world. Are you trying to substitute something for what Jesus Christ alone has done? The history of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years has always been filled with new forms of this old covenant sacrificial system. Paul dealt with it. That's why he wrote Galatians. And it will always be with us trying to pervert the gospel. No, no, yes, not throughout history starting to sacrifice animals again, but substitutes for those animals, like my good works. Well, I go to church, you know, I mean, at least, I don't know, out of a year, I'm, I show up 63% of the time and punch my card. I participate in the High church liturgy. Look at my sacrifice. Oh God. That should be enough, shouldn't it? To make satisfaction for my sins. I do the sacramental system. Yom Kippur for the Jews. Every fall, a few months ago again, was there a goat sacrificed by a priest? No. That's what Yom Kippur is, the Day of, of Atonement. So why not? Well, Jewish people today will answer, well, since the falling of the temple, we don't do that. But we celebrate Yom Kippur and we, it is the Day of Atonement where we make, we make, get it, we make atonement for 
our sins. And ultimately, not the sacrifice of animals, but our atonement and our asking for forgiveness and our good deeds atone for our sins. How many within the church world today are relying on the same kinds of things? Old covenant sacrifices of what I do. In the tradition that I grew up in, it was official doctrine. Penance. Now, Joey, after I go, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six months since my last confession. We open with that. It's called the act of contrition. You're supposed to be contrite. And you confess your sins. Not done yet. Don't leave. He'll instruct. Now go do this first. Go say 15 Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys. And then you can continue by doing that throughout your life, purging away your sins. And when you die with sins in your soul, which pretty much most people will, you won't go directly to heaven. You will go to purgatory where you can continually make satisfaction for your sins. And then the truth of this text, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ shouted at me at age 20, just as it shouts to the Jews of the first century. Christ alone. All of these unbiblical practices detract from Christ's sacrificial death for us. His death obtained total forgiveness before God forever for all born-again people, evidenced by their saving faith. And He did it on the cross once for all. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let us go on trusting Him alone. And let us sing in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. What heights of love. What depths of peace when fears are stilled and strivings cease. He's my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let us stand and sing.